0: James, again, there's an episode of The Office, uh, which you know it's going to be a good sermon when it starts out with the line, There's an episode of The Office, right? There's an episode of The Office where um, Dwight, you guys know Dwight, right? He's kind of the, the nerdy, over the top guy, guy that they're always pulling pranks on. Well, Dwight shows up to work and he's, he's just down. And you can tell that he's upset and you can tell that he's, something's wrong, and, and Jim is kind of like, wow, I really need to care about this guy and not try to you know, make fun of him or whatever. So he, he pulls him aside and he's like, Dwight, what's going on? And Dwight tells him about uh, going to this mall and he walked into a store at the mall because he wanted to buy a particular statue of a wizard holding a, a crystal ball. And he went in and, and he tells Jim and the others that he was refused service, that they wouldn't serve him, they wouldn't help him, that they laughed at him, that they uh, got him out of the store as fast as they could. And in Dwight's mind, that was because they thought that they were better than him, that they were uh, more dignified and more cultured than he was. And so the whole office crew gets together and they're like, well, we're gonna show them, we're gonna go pretty woman style on them and we're gonna give you a makeover, Dwight. So they do, they get rid of his like mustard shirt and the tie and um, they uh, they dress him up, they give him an ascot, one of those like fluffy weird uh, ties from other countries, um, and they give him a pipe, and they comb his hair, and they get rid of his glasses. In fact, n- never mind. I don't need to go into the, it, the. Anyways, he breaks his glasses, and then they're like, "No, we like those." And it, but he's like, "I can't see now." Um, so they dress him up, and then they send him back to the store. Well, Jim goes with him, and they walk into the store, and sure enough, the, the manager comes out and is like, "How can we help you?" And this is so great, and everything else, and Dwight kind of goes through his whole spiel, and then he says, "You know, I was in here earlier." And the guy goes, yes, I am aware, I understand that. And, and Dwight says, but you refuse to serve me. And the whole point is that Dwight would get to that line from Pretty Woman, big mistake, huge mistake, right? But it turns out that Dwight had showed up in his farm clothes with beet juice all over him that looks like he had just been like slaughtering an animal and they were terrified of him, and that's why they refused to serve him. But he ends up buying the wizard statue, and the whole thing is blown, and it doesn't work out, and he tries to do the line, but it falls flat on its face. But the whole point of that show is making fun of people showing partiality and favoritism to other people, judging other people. Um, passing judgment is based on somebody's looks, somebody's wealth, somebody's status. And James addresses that in our text together uh, this, this evening in James chapter 2. Some of you have, I'm sure, been on the receiving end of somebody's favoritism, somebody's partiality. You've been on the receiving end of somebody's unfair judgment or somebody who dismisses you or ignores you because you don't measure up to their arbitrary notions of what's cool or what's popular or who they want to spend time around. And so you've been left on the outside looking in and and you know the feeling that comes with that. Well, what we're about to see from James chapter two is that following Christ and showing partiality or showing favoritism to somebody, those two things are are completely incompatible with each other. You can't be a follower of Christ and someone who regularly practices favoritism and shows partiality to one person over another. Let's read in James chapter two, verses one through 13. James says, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My beloved brother says, God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you, you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's our text that we're going to be in together tonight. But to get here, we have to start actually in chapter 1, verse 27, which is where we ended last week. Chapter 1, verse 27 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When James wrote this letter, did James include chapters and verses? No, he didn't. James was writing, and this was stream of consciousness for for James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the the content is inspired by God. As James was writing this, he wasn't breaking his thoughts between chapter 1 and chapter 2. That's something that we've gone by, that, that human editors did long afterwards. And it hasn't changed whether the, the, the book is reliable or not. They haven't taken anything out or added anything in. They've just put in chapter and verse divisions to make it a little bit easier for us to study and for us to, to take everything in. But as James was writing, his thought was flowing from the end of chapter one right into chapter two with no break. And so at the end of chapter one, he's talking about pure religion before God. And he's saying it's about loving those who aren't really able to help you out, the orphans and the widows. Those who really, there's no benefit to you for you to love them. That's pure religion. And he says, and it's also to keep yourself unstained from the world. Well, one of the ways that the church has been most stained by the world is in the area of what we're talking about tonight, and that's in the area of this concept of partiality. Favoring one person over another. Cliques forming. Factions forming. The church being a place where somebody walks in and and doesn't feel like they're welcome, doesn't feel like they're loved. And that's why James starts right there in chapter two, verse one, flowing out of that thought. He says, my brothers, Christians, believers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I've mentioned the word partiality, favoritism a lot tonight, but what is that? What is it to be partial towards somebody over another person? Well, it's distinguishing between people by passing judgment, considering one person better or more worth your time, more worth your investment than another person. And so you ignore one and you pursue another. Some factors that can play into why we are prone to show partiality are these looks. Somebody's looks, you pass a judgment on how they appear, how they show up, what they're, what they're dressed like, and you decide whether or not you want to talk to that person, whether or not you want to befriend that person. Somebody's status, even in a group like this, there's status levels, and I, I, I get that. Every social environment that you walk into, as, as human beings, we are prone to group ourselves into to status groups. There's wealth. How much money does this person have? Would they benefit me? Are they gonna buy my child for tea later if I'm friends with that person versus friends with that person? Or maybe this person is gonna ask me to buy their child for tea, so I'd rather not hang out with them, right? Social skills. Let's face it, we're all awkward at some point in time. Right? Every single person in this room, you have all had your fair share of awkward moments with other people. Some people just excel a little bit more at being awkward than others. And so we pass judgments on people and say, well, I don't really want to hang out around that person because they, their social skills and my comfort level don't line up with one another. It's awkward. Dress, how they're, they're, the clothes they're wearing, their knowledge level. You pass a judgment on, on what you think their intellect level is and, and you decide whether or not you want to spend time with that person. Uh, their accent, right? Somebody comes in here with a Texas accent and everybody flocks to them because it's the greatest accent in the world. <laughs> somebody walks in here with an Alabama accent and you run from them, right? No, but seriously, something as petty and simple as that you can end up passing judgment on something, somebody about. Uh, social circle, who are their friends? You're gonna make a decision on whether or not you wanna go up and talk to them or in, interact with them or embrace them or welcome them based on who they're spending time with outside of, of our circle here, somebody's religion plays a big part in that. At your schools and your workplace, that, that you know somebody's a has this particular religion and you're going to make a decision whether or not you want to spend time around them based on that. Uh, the, we have issues of racism, color uh, that factors into partiality, personality just in general, whether or not you like the other person. And then of course, just their ability to benefit you, their perceived ability to to, to help you. These are all things that factor into whether or not we're going to befriend somebody or whether or not we're going to be favorable to one person over another. And James is saying that when we give into that, when we buy into that, what we're doing is contrary to the gospel. And he illustrates with a point here in James chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, your church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, So there's the scenario. You've got two guys. They both walk in the door at the same time. One of them clearly has wealth. And why does James go after wealth here? Do you guys remember what we talked about, about the people he was writing to? They were part of the dispersion. They had been driven away from their homes. They were not the wealthiest people that he's writing to here. So they would have looked at somebody with wealth coming into their church going, hey, man, maybe that guy can benefit our church. We need to get him given to the church here because then what would we be able to do? Things would get a little bit more comfortable to us, right? So they see the wealthy guy comes in and James says at the same time, another, a a poor man walks in and then he paints the the picture of their response. If you, verse three, pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and you say, you sit here, you sit in the place of honor, you sit in a good spot while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there or you, you sit down at my feet. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? there's the indictment that these areas of of prejudice or bias that we have towards a person, when we pass these judgments on them, when we decide, you know what, that person's not worth my time, that person's not worth my friendship, that person's not worth my concern, when we do that, what James is saying is it's evil. It's sinful for us to do that. It's wrong for us to do that. And at the heart of it is our pride, which is our first point together tonight. As we battle partiality, the first thing that we have to do is battle the pride. Reject the pride of partiality. That's point number one. Reject the pride of partiality. We've got some in the room, but there are those coffee elitists out there, right? And you're proud to identify as a coffee elitist. You know who you are out here. I'm not going to call you out by name. But you've got coffee elitists that are like, dude, you, you drink Starbucks? You walked in with Starbucks tonight? Dude, we can't even talk. Like, I'm not going to take your opinion on anything else because you drink that Starbucks stuff. That's not even real coffee. They burn everything and like, it's just mass produced and it's gross. Some of you are nodding out there. You're like, yes, this is true. I understand this, right? (laughs) And there's different levels of coffee elitism. Other people are like, dude, you you use a Keurig at home. You you would drink out of a K-cup like, I don't think I can even shake your hand. Like, that's just disgusting to me right now, right? And then there's other people that are, like, just scooping out their folders in the morning straight into their mouth and just <laughs> chewing on their coffee like it's no big deal, right? And they, they're on the bottom man. They're the poor man sitting at the feet in the audience, right? Chelsea Allen. Um, or there's some of you out there that think Lucille's is good barbecue, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's this spectrum. You get the elitism. You get the, the partiality that we make judgments on silly and ridiculous things. And that's what we're saying is is it's one thing to say, wow, I can't believe you like Starbucks. Starbucks is gross versus passing a judgment on a person, on who they are and making that decision about whether or not you want to get to know them or invest time in them. And James is going after that saying, you know what, that's sinful and it's prideful for us to do that. To see somebody come in and, and the first thought that we have is, okay, how are they going to benefit me? What do they have to offer me? in all of this. So we think about a few categories. First, we think about our own comfort. Am I going to be comfortable talking to this person? Are they going to make me feel weird? Are they going to make me feel awkward? If the answer is yes, then you're probably prone not to pursue them. Second category is, is they're going to, are they going to make me happy? Are they going to benefit me emotionally? Are they going to make me joyful to invest in them? to get to know them, to spend time with them, to talk to them. Another category is our, our status. Where do they fall in the pecking order of here? What, what are people going to think when they see me talking to this person? Another category is our, our wealth. Is this person going to benefit me? Do they have money? Can I bum five bucks off of them to get a burger at McDonald's? Whatever. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous, but sometimes those things factor into some of our judgments and some of our decisions that we make. We talked about some of this before, but if somebody walks in and we see their appearance and we pass a judgment. We see their clothes and we pass a judgment. We see their countenance. How is their face look? If somebody walks in and they're just having a bad week and you see them walk in and they're wearing that week on their face, right? And we've all been there. But maybe you look at that and you're like, man, I, I don't want any part of that. And you just turn around and you walk the other way because you don't want to care about that person enough to invest in that level we make judgments on people's social skills, their social circle, their personality. Again, all of those things. And all of us have been on the receiving end of this, right? Which is what makes this so ridiculous that it continues to perpetuate itself. Because all of us have been judged. All of us have been unfairly shown favoritism and been on the short end of the stick, All of us, to use James' example, have been told, hey, you come in and you sit down here. You sit down with the rest of the people that don't matter. Sit up against the wall because you're not worthy of my time. You're not worthy of my affection. You're not worthy of my getting to know you. And so what you do is you show up and you end up hanging out around the people that you feel comfortable with. And if somebody's new, they come in and they sit down by themselves. Guys, we have to get over the risk involved in getting to know people. And we have to be willing to be humble and go out and put ourselves out there and welcome somebody and get to know somebody new. And it doesn't mean that this is their first time to the group. It, it may mean that they've been at the group as long as you've been at the group, but you've actually never talked to the person. We need to get over that, get past that. Think about this for a second, guys. If things go wonky politically in the next election or maybe the election that's, that's eight years away, nine years away and the person who comes into power and all of a sudden be, being a, a Christian becomes illegal. Who are the people that you were going to rely on during that time? They're the ones that are in this room. They're the ones that you're going to say, I need you. And all of a sudden, all that junk that we judge people on isn't gonna matter anymore. We're gonna be here and we're gonna be loving each other and we're gonna need each other just like the early church needed each other. But see, it's too easy for us right now. And so church is more of a social activity than it is a lifeline for us. We show up to see the people that we like and we don't care about the people that we don't like. James says, have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves? The implication is there, you've made distinctions where God has not made distinctions. And he says, you've become judges with evil thoughts. What does Jesus want from us? Instead, he wants us to have a Philippians 2 mindset. Philippians 2, three through four. Philippians 2, three through four, Paul says there, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That should drive our social interaction, guys. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Y'all, that needs to be our mindset. Every single weekend we come here, I'm gonna consider others more significant than me. Not just a handful of people. I'm gonna consider everyone at the bridge tonight more considerate or more significant than, than I am. I'm gonna look out for their interest and not my own interests or not my own interest alone. See, the bridge needs to be so much more about what you put into it rather than what you get out of it. And that's church in general. You need to come to church going, okay, what, what do I have to, to give? What can I offer? How can I bless somebody else when I show up at, at church tonight? Not who's gonna benefit me? The thoughts that you don't want to hang out with somebody because they're awkward or dressed differently or aren't attractive, they're just they they come from that heart of pride. They're wrong, James says they're sinful, they're evil. So let me challenge you as you come to the bridge to come with a a certain perspective. First, come looking to comfort somebody else. Not to to be comforted yourself, but to comfort somebody else. Look for a way to, to, to bless somebody else in that way. Make that your goal. Second, come looking to bring joy and happiness to somebody else. Not to find it for yourself, but to give it to somebody else. Third, come ready to set aside any notions of status or popularity. There are no cool kids in the bridge. We are all dorks for Jesus, okay? There should be no, like, this person is, is, I'm okay to hang out with this person, but not that person, because what would somebody think? Somebody's gonna look at you and go, man, that's awesome that you guys are spending time together. Praise God. That's what they're gonna think. Fourth, Come ready to, and this is a phrase that I borrow from my wife. Push through the awkward. Push through the awkward. We all feel it. Going up to somebody that you've never met before, somebody that you've never talked to before, and introducing yourself. It's awkward. Yes? We can all agree on that. Yes? Okay, so if everybody in the room agrees on the fact that it's awkward to talk to somebody new, then go up to somebody and introduce yourself, understanding that they feel just as awkward as you do, and build your bridge and get over it. Right? Push through the awkward. And before you know it, it won't feel awkward anymore and you'll have a friend. What? It's it's there for the taking. And you're gonna have a friend, not just a, a surface friend, you're gonna have a friend who loves Jesus that's gonna care about your love for Jesus as well. And so come ready to push through the awkward. To follow Jesus, what did he say? If anyone wishes to follow after me, find your best friends and get comfortable. Is that what he said? No, he said if anyone wishes to follow after me, let him take up what? His cross, and the cross was meant to kill. Not to be a status symbol, not to be a piece of jewelry. Not to be, and and it's not wrong, if you've got a cross around your neck, I'm not mad at you, it's fine. But but the cross was the the, the electric chair of the day. It was the hangman's noose. So when Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying, to follow me means you're gonna die to yourself. Guys, as a community, we need to die to ourselves way more than we do. Okay? And get over our preconceived notions of one another and stop judging each other and stop giving into to the, the, the pride of partiality and put that behind us, reject that and start to love each other. James continues, he says in verse five, listen, listen. Pastor Hayden says listen sometimes. You talk to Pastor Hayden, he'll get going. Listen, 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 right? Listen, he says. My beloved brothers, again, Christians, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him. But you, you've dishonored the poor man. And are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? What's the honorable name by which they were called? Sunday school answer, Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus, yes. And so James is is illustrating here why their prejudice is so serious why this matters so much. And he points out two things. He points out something about the poor. He says, has God not chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? Y'all, it's it's not a a true statement across the board, but so often the church thrives in in areas of of intense poverty and destitution. The, the, The underground church in China is blowing up. And that's not a church that's got a ton of money behind it. The church in Africa is is growing faster than anywhere else in the entire globe. And again, that's not an area where there's a ton of money associated with it. So often what you find is you find God working and moving amongst those who are financially poor and destitute and broken. Again, it's not a hard and fast rule, but James is saying, look, when you see a poor man come in and, and you despise them, you need to understand that God has not despised them. But the pattern that we see with the Lord is that the Lord is blessing those who are poor, those who are destitute. Remember, love the, the orphan and the widow that James called them to in 127? And then he's, his second point here is he's saying, and, and you favor the rich, but he's saying, look at what the rich are doing to you. Again, a group of believers, a group of Christians who had left everything behind to flee persecution. These were poor people that James was writing to who were trying to, to suck up to the rich in hopes that they would bless them. And James is saying, they're not blessing you. They're oppressing you and they're dragging you into court. He's saying, why are you so in love with the rich? What he's really driving at here, y'all, is he's, he's driving at this charge to, to quit courting the world. Quit trying to, to impress the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, James, or John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For the things in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life are, are passing away along with its desires. The, the, they're not from God, right? And when we practice partiality so often, we're driven by one of those three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the boastful pride of life, And it's fueling why we choose to spend time with this person and not with that person. And James is saying, just stop. He's not suggesting reverse partiality. He's not suggesting that if somebody who comes in is is rich that you go, well, you sit on the floor. Hey, poor guy, you come over here and sit in this nice seat. That's not what he's driving at either. He's just saying, guys, we need to, to stop valuing what the world values and start valuing the things that God values. In fact, that's our second point tonight. Value the right things in others. That's point number two. Value the right things in others. Matthew chapter 5 opens up with a passage called the Beatitudes, because that's the word for, for blessing there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you y'all those are the types of people that we should be pursuing that we should be wanting to be like and wanting to be around the poor in spirit the meek the humble the mourning. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those are the types of people that that we want to to pursue and, again, that we want to be like, things that we should value in others. What informs your friendships? What makes your decision when somebody walks in? What are some of the, the things that you think about about the people that you're friends with? Why are you friends with the people that you're currently, right now, friends with? What are the things that you value in them? Is it like we've read recently in in the DBR, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 23, but the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Y'all, that's what we need to be valuing in others. That's what needs to inform our decisions when we're sitting here going, I need, to, I need to go meet somebody new. I need to go make a new friend. And we wanna be this type of people as well. These need to be the traits that we're looking for in others. Paul reminds us of our own state when Christ came for us. And he takes us down a few notches, all of us. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 26 through 29. Paul says there, For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So guys, remember where you were when Christ found you. Paul says in Romans chapter five that you were weak, ungodly, sinful enemies of God. Wow, thanks Paul, right? And if we'll bear that in mind, guys, that's that's gonna keep us humble. It's gonna make sure that we're pursuing the right kind of relationships, valuing the right things in others. Verse eight in James chapter two. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. There it is, as plain as day. If you show partiality, you are committing sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors, as sinners. And he answers the objection. Because the objection is going to be, okay, but yeah, but James, really, is that really that big of a deal if my sin is that I like this person more than that person? I mean, come on. I'm still showing up at church. I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still doing the DBR. Man, I'm I'm praying, James. I'm memorizing the Bible. Get off my back about my social circle. Let me just have the friends that I want and, and just get off my back about it all after all. James... Answers that. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, God says, No big deal. Is that what it says? No, he says, Has been become guilty of all of it. All of what? All of the law. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you don't commit adultery, don't pat yourself on the back, because if you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. In other words, you're guilty before God. So he says, speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, which is again at the heart of being one who shows partiality is there's no mercy there. There's no grace there. And he's saying judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James gets finally to where he's been driving the whole time. The royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. And you remember that context, right? When Jesus issues that, because there's a Pharisee that comes up and he says, yes, but what? What does he ask? He says, who is my neighbor? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm loving my neighbor. Look, I've got this best friend, that best friend, this best friend, that best friend. They're all my neighbors. I'm good. I've checked the box. I love my neighbor as myself. I'm good. But the problem is Jesus Answers this question. He says, You want to know who your neighbor is, you Jews who hate the Samaritans? Let me tell you a parable about a guy who got mugged on the way down from worshiping God. He's left for dead on the side of the road. He's a Jew, by the way. And uh, here comes another Jew who sees the guy and he's beaten and bloody and messy and stinks and he's laying on the ground. And that Jew goes, Man, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. And he passes by on the other side of the road. And then you have a, a priest who's a a Jew uh, par excellence, right? He's the top level Jew and he's coming down. He sees the same guy and he's thinking to himself, well, if that happened to that guy, I'm not gonna stop because that could happen to me. So he passes by on the other side of the round. And then Jesus says, along came a what? Samaritan. And as soon as he said that, guys, the Jews in the audience would have ground their teeth at that. Like this is a guy that they're like, man, that guy shouldn't even be alive right now. Jesus, how can you even mention a Samaritan? You might as well cuss in this parable. And Jesus says the Samaritan stops and dresses his bandage and he picks him up and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn and he tells the innkeeper, who's a dishonest guy because they mostly work. he says, look, I got to get out of town. You take care of him. Whatever you spend, I'm going to trust whatever you, you need to, to spend to take care of the guy. I'll settle accounts with you when I come back to town. And then afterwards, Jesus poses the question to the Jews, which of them was a neighbor to the man? And they're left to say begrudgingly what? The Samaritan. The Samaritan. And so guys, when you think of that, love others as yourself. In fact, Jesus is asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Be all in for God, right? And then he says, oh, and by the way, as a bonus, here's the second one. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all of following God boils down to Two commandments. Love God and love others. And if you show partiality, you are failing at both. And that's the point of what he's saying here. If you are not loving others as you have been loved, loving others as yourself, you are showing partiality and you are failing at what it means to truly follow God. Point number three tonight is this love others as you have been loved. Love others as you have been loved yourself. That's what James is driving at here. How has God loved you? Think about that for a minute. How have you been loved by God? God has sacrificed to love you, gave his only son, killed his only son. Poured out his wrath on his only son for you because of your sins. Knowing as he was pouring out his wrath on Jesus that Jesus, his son, was innocent and that it was your sin that he was punishing on Jesus, and yet he did it anyways because he loved you with a sacrificial love. Jesus has forgiven you, God has forgiven you your sins. God has embraced you, accepted you, adopted you into his family as one of his own, as a son, as a daughter. God has been patient with you. God has taught you. God has pursued you as you've rebelled against him. In fact, God gave you the Holy Spirit so that In your moments and in times of rebellion, you would come under conviction and, and come back to God. And God has protected you. And James wants us to love others that way and not think that it's no big deal because it is a big deal. It's part of the royal law. Why is it the royal law? Because Jesus is the one that gave this to us, and Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he says, love others as yourself. And James is saying, this is a big deal. Because to fail in this regard is to fail in the whole thing. So much of this comes down to how you think about other people. So I wanna challenge you to think differently about some people this way. Number one, think that there's somebody that God has created. Every single person in this room, God has created in his image. And so they have value. They have worth in the eyes of God. Who are we to look at them and say, you're not worth my time? Second, there's somebody that God has brought here to this ministry. It's not an accident. It's not by chance. God is the one that is bringing people here. And he's not bringing them here to be ignored. He's not bringing them here to be judged. He's not bringing them here to be ostracized. He's bringing them here to be love to be taught, to be encouraged, to be evangelized even. And that's the third thing. Think that some people here are people who potentially need Jesus. They need salvation. And what kind of ambassador for Christ are you when you won't even give them the time of day sometimes? There's somebody that God has brought here because he wants you to serve them. There's somebody that God wants you to pray for. There's someone who's here who has hurts and pains, just like you have your own hurts and pains. Think about how you can try to comfort them in that. There's somebody that's here because they feel as insecure as, as you do. And then the other side of this is they're here and they could be somebody who could encourage you in your faith, who could comfort you, who could be a great friend for you. It's about taking that first step. If this is your home church and you would say the bridge is your home ministry, put yourselves in the shoes of a new person who walks in here and think about what they go through. Think about what you would want as somebody who's a visitor here. How would you wanna be greeted? How would you want to be welcomed? Would you want to be welcomed and then everybody who welcomes you just kind of stays on the surface and then walks away and you're, you're left going, well, I, I talked to a lot of people but now I'm just by myself. Or would you want to be embraced and, and have somebody say, hey, come sit with me. Hey, let's go grab some food together and go sit down. Why don't you tell me about yourself? Hey, let's go to the coffee bar and get something to drink at the coffee bar. Not Folgers. Hey, can I get you a bottle of water? Have you got a Bible? Have you gotten notes? Have you, do you have a pen? Do you, hey, this is what we're doing after the bridge tonight. You should come with us. We'd love to have you come with us. You can ride with me. Hey, where are you sitting? I, I want to come sit with you. Or do you have a place to sit? Come sit with me. You, 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 that, I, I would want that, right? And I guarantee you, even the most stubborn, hard-hearted of you out there that are like, no, I'm an introvert, dude. I, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want people up in my grill. You'd still rather have that than to have nobody talk to you at all. You'd still rather have to say, no, I'm good a million times tonight than to have people just not talk to you because you're new and it's awkward to go talk to somebody who's new. So guys, I want us to to start changing that. I want us to start thinking about other people in a different way and it's going to revolutionize things if we'll do that. We'll begin building genuine relationships, caring about other people beyond just the three hours we're, we're together each Sunday night calling each other, spending time with each other, praying for each other. It's really quite simple when we think about it guys that the royal law of love here's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to think about what you would want somebody to do for you and he wants you to do that for somebody else. That needs to be our mindset. That's what we need to be driving at. Again partiality favoritism. it's incompatible with the gospel. It's incompatible with the gospel. Jesus didn't come here and go, well, I'm going to save that guy. I'm going to save her over there. I'm going to save that person right there. I'll die for them because they're attractive. No. Romans 5 says the exact opposite. It says you and I were ugly to God when Christ died for us. We were enemies of God when Christ died for us. We were weak when Christ died for us. We were ungodly when Christ died for us. Guys, if, if, if God poured out his love for us in that state, who are we to, to, to see somebody walk in and, and judge them when they walk in and say, you know what, they're not worth my time. Do you see how incompatible with the gospel that is? How backwards that is? Guys, this group is a great place for us just in general in our lives to begin fighting favoritism. It's a great place for us to begin doing that, to begin getting to know people that we've never met before, that we haven't talked to before. Maybe our conversations have stayed at a surface level and we need to just say, hey, I'm gonna make it a point to get to know that person this week. So I hope you're on board with that. It's gonna be a, 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 a much, I love you guys. I love being here. I'm not, I know this is kind of a, a somber message and like, wow, man, how bad are things? No, it's not just that. It's, I want things to be better, yes? And they can be. They can be. But it's not just about the leadership changing things. It's about all of us getting on board with this. It's about all of us saying, okay, we're done hanging out with our two or three friends. We can still hang out with them, but let's hang out with them and be like, let's go hang out with other people too. Let's go talk with people. And no, this is not a message about dating. I don't care if you meet somebody that you want to date in this interaction. I just want you to love each other. I just want you to be friends with each other. I don't want anybody in this room going, I feel like nobody cares about me. That would be tragic. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you did come after us when we were unlovable and unlovely. We thank you that you sent Christ to die for our sins. Lord, allow us to respond rightly to that by thinking of others differently and by longing to love others the way that you have loved us and to care for them the way that you have cared for us and to serve them and to show up at the bridge not saying, what what can I get out of this? But what can I put into this? Lord, to come to the bridge with the mindset of Philippians chapter 2 considering others more significant than ourselves, looking out not just for our own interest, but for the interest of others. God, make us a group like that, a group that loves well because we have been loved so well by you. Lord, break down the barriers of of partiality and favoritism and the standards that we put up there and remove those from this room so that we can really get after what's going on in our own lives and in our own hearts and love each other and pray for each other and serve each other and be the body of Christ together as you called us to be and as you want us to be, God. Make us that kind of a group. For your name, for your glory in Christ's name, amen.